Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host Sam Foote and Anne Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode one of season five. Alan and I had a recent discussion around what new features or services that have come into public preview or general availability over the past month or so. Here are a few areas that we covered. Microsoft Defender for Endpoint Updates, Microsoft Entra Global Secure Access, General Azure Infrastructure Updates. We have noticed that a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot to us for you to show your support to the show. It's a really great episode, so let's jump in. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Uh, first episode back in 2024 in Season 5. Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, our first episode. Um, I think we're a, a week behind, but that's okay um, for what we said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, um, we we did have quite a, a, a long break, and there was at least one person at least one that called me out for our for our break um uh that we had broken up uh a week earlier than usual uh <laughs> nobody has caught up with me since um you know us uh delaying our first episode of the year so um i think we've got away with it well maybe when we publish this one we won't have but yeah for the moment we've got away with it um how was your uh, uh festive holiday break yeah it was good um lots lots happened and yeah took the kids to and the family to um london for a weekend um and yeah and yeah enjoyed it with with family mainly so that's all good how about you yeah very similar um not really doing a lot uh didn't have to travel uh too far uh this year which was um which was nice um it, it's always good to spend time with family and i think we got a good amount of uh disconnected time as well um it didn't yeah. feel too long as well to me um i felt like uh we were shortchanged a little bit because of the dates and you know the timings of it but i think that was good for me personally because i didn't get to the stage where i felt like i didn't know what to do if that makes sense right um i we we, we came back to work um sort of at the right time for me personally. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the longest because I think I took a couple of weeks. Can't remember now. It's that you know, it seems so long ago. But uh, <laughs> it um, was last year, even though it's only like last week or whatever <laughs> it was. But um, but yeah, it was a long time. Um, I think it's the longest time I've had off for a while. So nice. Yeah, it's good to yeah. good to decompress for sure. Right, Alan, should we get um, stuck into uh, this episode? Uh, it's it's probably worth me. Uh, sort of setting the scene really um, on this one uh, we're going to try um, some new formats of episodes uh, this year uh, for season five uh, we're going to start to cover uh, news and updates uh, because we do like to focus on certain topics and deep dive into certain areas but there is so much change um, in uh, in azure that. We, we don't want to do sort of updates and news uh, too much because there is a lot and there's a lot of noise there, mainly around topics that we're not mainly focused on or we don't uh, feel, you know, um, add a, like a massive amount of value, if, if that makes sense, not like a big sort of, sort of step forward. So what we're going to try is we're going to try to do maybe a monthly uh, news and platform updates episode where we just sort of highlight and, and pick out the the best 
the best updates um, that we sort of resonate with um, that can sort of add the most value um, to, to, to people using Azure um, and Office 365. So, Alan, do you want to um, get us started and um, uh, give us some of your... Um, these are mainly sort of December-ish, early January um, updates, right? Yeah, sort of, yeah, probably coming out of Ignite as well. I know we kind of did an Ignite episode, but there's some stuff that I've, I've found, you know, um, whilst looking at some of the documentation about what's what's new um, that I didn't even know that had come out sort of thing. So, and some of it's quite interesting. So, like you said, I don't think it's, it's very hard, I think, to sort of announce some of these, like, news or these updates especially when we're doing like specific topics every every week so yeah every so often doing a like, like a quick update um of some interesting things is good so so yeah <clears throat> i guess my i guess one of the main one of the ones i've noticed um sort of since ignite as well is um we did an episode on secure global access um but the internet access now is public preview so this is the other part to it um, I wasn't able to get onto the private preview, so I couldn't see what it was about. So probably in sort of December time, I was sort of checking it out. Cause I think this got announced in late December that it was public preview. Um, and in essence, this part of the, the secure global access is, um, there's, there's various sections of it, but, um, some key areas are sort of web content filtering, um, user-based. So if anyone's been using defend for endpoint web content filtering, um, which is, device-based um this brings it to the the identity at this point so you can be more granular with it so you've got devices that are multi multi-user you know hot desks things like that you can now be more granular with it um and the categories are um are very granular as well um so with uh defender for endpoint um you know the built-in ones um they're very i'd say there's there's quite a lot, there's quite a few categories there, but sometimes it doesn't break down far enough um, for some organiza- organizations. Um, but this one now sort of breaks down into things like, you know, uh, we'll just, I'll just throw some out here, like dating and personals, um, the usual ones that shouldn't be seen at work. Um, you've now got business use. Um, so now you can allow that category. So it should sort of cut, cover everything we need. Um, there's things in here like you know personal sites, private IP addresses, um, so you can block that with it now. Um, just a quick look. There's a few others, games, because um, it wasn't really broken down sort of this granular last time. Um, there were some really peculiar ones, I thought. So it can cover you know malware, uh, cryptocurrency mining, that sort of stuff now. Um, it wasn't that one of well, isn't that I should say one of the. Um sort of uh reasons for customers not to uh, utilize web content filtering in defender for endpoint be- as much as maybe point solutions that are out there because of the the lack of granularity um I- i've seen some pushback f- f- from that side yeah. of things, if i recall correctly yeah so it's that and it's also being able to add your custom ones in um so you could do it with defender for endpoint but it was custom indicators and you, I think there's only a limit of like fifteen thousand URLs or IPs and things like that. It does, and that's it include, does, uh, does that include your IOC? Uh, correct. Yeah. So it's all well. so kind of bump baked into in. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all baked into that sort of thing. Right. Um, and it was very difficult as well to, um, 
because you'd have to almost like categorize group uh, devices based on the users rather than categorizing the users and then doesn't matter what device they use kind of thing. So it's very difficult. So if you were on AVD or Windows, no, AVD, and you had multi-session, um, you couldn't, you know, differentiate between it. I mean, to be fair, I don't know if um, this works on AVD after saying that, um, <laughs> but potentially it will do in the future if it doesn't. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's definitely a, a compete there for, you know, the, the you know, the proxies out there. Um, we still don't know how much this service is going to cost yet. It's not been announced um, in there. That's going to um, be very, very interesting to see because both both sides of you know uh, secure access is there's a there's a lot of noise about it mm. at the moment, right? Lots of excitement. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, and I just fingers and toes cross that it lands without a bump. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, along with this, along with web content field, you can block you know URLs directly. Um, the other interesting thing, which I didn't know, was that technically, because you kind of create policies and groups for the different sort of areas, you could, for accessing, say, Dropbox, as an example, um, and you're not, um, you know, you've not got single sign-on from Entra, you know, going into it, um, you could actually put MFA in front of that application, that serve, that, yeah, that, app, that application, because, or that URL even, because, you can add condition. You could basically, based on if you want to access that category and allow it, you can put an MFA in front of it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, really good. So, so yeah, there's that, and also, sort of the other part to it is that um, within conditional access, you can have a compliant network. So because you're kind of tunneling through this through the Microsoft network, it identifies you as going being a trusted device and being you know going through a trusted network. It means you can then allow. Yeah, only allow access to 365 if you're connected and successfully meeting criteria. So it kind of, I guess some organizations today um, force in, in right, in, you know, in, in, you know, it's not wrong to do it this way, but force users to go via their uh, VPN to access 365, which, you know, is fine. It, you know, it adds the extra security to say you have to be connected to us to be able to access 365, but it obviously does put reliance on the organization's VPN service. Um, you know, all the data's got to come that way and go out, you know, there, you know, the organization's internet pipes, things like that. So there's all cost there as well as, you know, um, potential risk of service being lost because, you know, those services go down for some reason. Um, not that you know, not the organizers don't have contingency and you know backups and you know disaster recovery plans, but you know it's it's there, it's potential there. So, so yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, really good. Yeah, some great updates coming out of that that new product. Yeah, I just can't wait to find out how much it's going to cost because I think it's going to be yeah, you know, like you said, it's it's um it's an interesting one. I yeah. I've, I see loads of different scenarios for it already yes but you know so but yeah so that's that one um probably going on to the sort of next one that's on my list it's probably a smaller one but quite interesting um in defender for cloud apps and you have the um cloud discovery shadow it the you know that catalog there uh, microsoft have added the 
uh, a new category in there for Gen AI. So any generative AIs that um, it, uh, Microsoft are tracking um, or you know in, put into their um, into this now um, now you can see which users are accessing it, which is interesting. Um, and it's interesting because that means you can start to understand if users are one using it, um, which is you know kind of in somewhat okay in some form, but. I guess the the potential risk there is, you know, your you know, or an organizational an organization's users um, using that service and inputting corporate data to for it to generate a report or something, and it then being consumed by the model and then technically publicly available or not owned now by that organization. Um, so I yeah. think that's it's quite good to kind of understand at least what. Or how big potentially how big your problem is or how much people are using it and whether something like copilot microsoft copilot for uh, microsoft 365 might benefit you if they're using it you know to enhance their output yeah definitely i know, I know there's a lot of um c- concern you know obviously uh, balanced on the other side of productivity gains right mm-hmm. um but definitely a prompt interface that you can effectively you know, uh, paste any data into, you know, that there is an element of, you know, uh, potential uh, data loss there, right? You know, uh, through like inadvertent insider risk activity, you know. Um, so definitely good to be able to um, identify the, the usage of those tools, at least, you know, uh, before you even, you know, look at blocking it maybe, um, which is which is really interesting. Um, and I know there's just a, there's a wider conversation about, you know, preparing for Copilot, right? You know, um, mm. what data your user has or doesn't have access to in the most simplistic sense, right? You know, because day to day, you might not know that you've got access to, I don't know, the payroll folder <laughs> accidentally, right? <laughs> um, but then when you when you uh, then ask uh, Copilot, um how much one of one of your colleagues earns you know um y- you might get back the answer that <laughs> you know <laughs> you weren't expecting so th- th- there's a lot of talk about how you you approach uh sort of co-pilot and sort of uh, that's a, a wider generative ai conversation i think anyway um but it, yeah it's it, it's good to see that um there's recognition of, of those tools being used and um i'm starting to sort of follow up on that yeah, absolutely. It might even be help you, you know, the organization understand how, or, or at least give an area to ask users why they're using it, not yeah. in a aggressive way to understand it. So that you know, is it is there value in having yeah, some because, generative AI? Yeah, because if you have like shadow IT happening, right? Somebody's <clears> starting to use Copilot. Maybe they've personally bought it and they're starting to use it to, you know, generate something right it's better to be able to detect that and realize oh maybe this user does actually need to be licensed for copilot you know because they'll be able to get the same value out of it it just might be more controlled right so you know you don't you don't understand about this shadow it usage without being able to discover it first so the fact that you can now categorize it is you know a big a big bonus i'd say yeah it's definitely a thing with shadow it isn't it it's it is deemed you know bad because people are going around services things like that potentially um but there's got to be some in some form there's got to be a reason why as well so it's understanding that isn't it from a business and then understanding if services need to be added or controls need to be changed 
to yeah. to reduce yeah to reduce it like you said yeah because what one of the you know the big drivers of shadow it is not nefarious you know data leakage you know it's um it's it's a it's a, a drive for productivity you know and um you know and, and and efficiency gains right so but but what we sometimes have is you know if we allow users to have freedom uh they'll take that freedom quite rightly and and start using it you know and you don't you don't realize it until you can actually discover it so it's why you know defender for cloud apps is is so powerful and other tools like it i should probably say uh, yeah. because it does give you that visibility you know yeah okay so moving on to my sort of next area um is defender for endpoint updates and there's a couple in here some of them are, you know small um but quite interesting so um if anyone's had to um uh, allow defender for endpoint out of your corporate firewalls um internally um and you have to you know whitelist all of those urls um which you know the wildcards the all you know there's quite a few there i can't remember how many it's like 20 25 urls you have to to whitelist um in public preview now microsoft have now started to move some of those services un under a single uh wildcard url um i can't remember what it is off the top of my head um but in effect, about four or five of their services now now come into that. So now I think it's now down to sort of maybe five or six URLs. Um, so that's in public preview at the moment. And you can switch over to it um, by changing your, by enabling on the on you know, back end of, and the feature of Defender for Endpoint, um, which will make it the default. Or you can um, download the um, onboarding script and there's a simplified, um, url version of it and then you just you can just re-onboard a device and it'll switch over um eventually i expect uh microsoft will push out that all you know it'll switch all of the endpoints over to event you know eventually so it might be worth testing you know a few devices um being onboarded that way to see if you, you, your firewall rules will still work with it and things like that before the big you know big change but the the change where microsoft start pushing it over i expect it will be a couple of years before they decommission the other urls it's worth preparing for it. Um, the next one is uh, an MD, uh, the Defender for Endpoint plugin for WSL. So on Windows 10, Windows 11, where you have w WSL. Um, uh, previously, um, Defender for Endpoint wouldn't really sort of enter that that environment because it's kind of sandboxed off. Um, so it's kind of like a diff you know, different operating system you know, in some some ways. So it's a plugin to sort of feed into that area to be able to then protect and detect uh, in that environment. What is WSL, so nice short... Alan? Windows Subsystem Linux or something like that? Windows Subsystem for Linux, just more, oh, more what it actually is. Uh, <laughs> what's, um, it, what, what's the benefits of it? Uh, put me on the spot sam thanks um <laughs> so w wsl is an effect where you can you can install a version of um linux you know ubuntu um and some of the other ones there um sort of into your operating system for windows um and then you can i think the main benefit is really around developers so they can then um have you know developing in linux in effect is that right sam yeah, I think the um, 
the main i think one of the big drivers for wsl is that a lot of developers um have the preference of utilizing uh, max for development um there's a there's a there's a, there's a good ecosystem of um uh, package uh, managers application management systems and and to some extent linux has a lot of that um as well and 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 plus now um, a lot of well, this has been true for a long time because linux has been a staple of servers on the internet for a long long time but you, you know if, if if your preference was to use windows for your development and then you ended up deploying to a linux server you would have to go through that disconnect of making sure your app ran in both places right um and so uh, so there's there's also a there's a big push to to, to develop as close in the system as close to your end you know um production environment as you possibly can that's number one number two as well is um running docker within on linux um doesn't require the level of when you ran docker on windows previously it used hyper v um you you effectively just installed a I don't even know what the, I assume it was just like a Debian image or um, a virtual machine and you effectively mm-hmm. just proxied into it. Um, and now Docker runs natively within inside of WSL because WSL is just a hypervised um, uh, Linux um, or Debian. Yeah, that's probably fair to say Unix like um, uh, operating systems. You can install various different ones. What the real benefit is as well is it, if you run a, like a graphical user uh, interface application. Uh, so let's say you take your VS Code or something like that. When you run it from uh, WSL, you can actually interact with it just like a normal window. Um, you know, like a normal Windows uh, window is probably the <laughs> um, the right thing to say. So you get best of both worlds. Really, you have this isolated, integrated development environment that is close to your production systems, or you know. Uh, dockerized um, but you also get the benefit of having windows as your uh, primary operating system if that is what your preference is um, so like for, uh, for me when i was previously a developer um, i i needed to use my mac less and less uh, because uh, the only thing that i really needed mac for was um, ios application publishing but that could be you can get around that anyway with uh, 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 dev boxes etc build services now so um so yeah wsl has has made a lot of that um really uh you know really really easy uh, to to work with so yeah like you say cov- mde coverage is really important in those areas as well because you're effectively root you know in that operating system mm. so there's there's potential there yeah and i guess as well it's probably like you said it's, it's easier using wsl is easier to manage because it's kind of just there sort of thing um as part of like the local os in some form um but also i guess i kind of feel like it doesn't take as much resource as if it was a vm because you got you it's used you, you got your own disc to look after and it's yeah yeah nothing else you know ram where it's all just like shared at that point is it's all yeah it's all sort of native in some yeah. form and if you think about it the visibility of mde you know you're moving sort of your crown jewels potentially into that you know into that instance right you know you're you're maybe putting your your application code um you know so you do have to think about 
you know, uh, vulnerability management there, you know, and um, other malware and, uh, you know, um, other, you know, threats and attacks. So it's important to cover, you know, uh, to, to cover it, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So the last part of sort of the M- the Defender for Endpoint updates is this new uh, attack disruption um, called user contain. So we've had um, device contain, so that you can you know if you've got um, enterprise IoT discovery on and you can see devices, you can contain them so that all Defender for Endpoint uh, enabled endpoints um, stop talking to it. But this is, um, in effect, going to the user perspective. So this is one of the things that I didn't know came out and sort of found. And this is really interesting in that, in effect, when you contain the user, it doesn't matter where they are, but if anyone, if that user tries to authenticate or sign into any device that's got MDE on it, so if you're trying to you know, connect to SMB, RDP, uh, RPC, and you know, network logon as protocols, um, they're blocked for that user, but everyone else is fine. That seems like really powerful to be able to stop a user. So, you know, if, if a user's been compromised, uh, either, you know, a human-based, you know, attacking or it's, you know, ransomware and it's using their credentials to access, you know, SMBs, things like that, you can slow that process up. I won't say necessarily stop it. You know, because obviously Defender for Endpoint is going to try and you know stop the the spread of it, um, but it, it's going to slow the process up of you know that user being able to access services or or you know lateral movement things like that until you know your 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 SOC or your your you know, your security analysts can then investigate about how you know gives you, gives them more time basically to do that investigation and the impact and try and you know actually stop stop the attack completely. So I think that's definitely an interesting one. I need to go and try it somewhere. So we'll probably be testing it out in the next couple of weeks, Sam. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Let's add it to the list of, yeah, cool things we need to, yeah, check out. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. There were a few more other areas to sort of cover, but I think that's enough for for this for this month kind of thing for me. So, um, so Sam, what have you got for some of the news that in the next, you know, last couple of months? Okay, I'm, I'm going to start off with a freebie because we do like a <laughs> we do like a freebie. Well, it's not fully free, but it is free. Oh, I don't know. Um, SQL managed instance. So, um, I don't know. I don't think we covered it in our SQL Azure um, episode. It probably warrants its own episode, to be honest with you. Uh, but a SQL managed instance is uh, effectively a SQL server hosted for you in a PaaS environment. So it's not it's not quite SQL Azure. So um, what we sometimes happen ha- when people are migrating for from maybe their own on-prem or even cloud-based SQL, you know, where they manage their own SQL instances, we sometimes have an issue migrating them to SQL Azure. Maybe there's some features that aren't supported in SQL Azure yet because um, there are some some differences there. Uh, managed instances, effectively, the, I believe it's the latest stable version of um, SQL Server that is managed for you. So um, you can connect to it with SQL Server Management Studio. It's very similar to um, what you would have been used to with your on-premise um, SQL environments. There is now a free, can I call it tier? You, 
there, there's a free tier that is free of charge for the first 12 months. Okay. So you can have a general purpose instance. One of the big things about having um, a, a managed instance is that you just get a host and you can have as many databases basically on it as you want. Whereas in SQL Azure, um, unless you're going with Elastic uh, uh, pricing model, um, you, you, ha you usually have the pay per database generally. Um, so this gives you a general purpose instance with up to 100 databases. So there is a limit on this one um, in in the free tier. Get 720 vCore hours of compute every month. That's about the average of one vCore an hour for the whole of the month, uh, basically. So, I mean, this is a free tier. It's really to get you uh, testing it, making sure you're happy with it, you know, um, maybe running a pre-prod or a development or staging uh, infrastructure there. Um, you've got 64 gig of storage as well. Um, so you can apply a free offer. Uh, you get it for um, a year um, and it's a, it's a really good way to um, sort of um, get started with it. Uh, the, the, the monthly f limits, the free limits are monthly. So you can run out of those 720 vCore hours uh, the instance will be stopped at that point, so you have to be a bit careful with how you're, um, you're, you're sort of uh, managing that. So uh, yeah, just be a bit careful if you're trying to run anything, you know. But I think it's really for mainly for development and testing. To be totally honest with you, um, I won't go massive into uh, managed instance because I want to do um, uh, my a whole episode on it. But it's it's great to see there's a free offering uh, there for people to at least get started with yes that's pretty good Nick because like you said there's probably wanting to move up to it but maybe don't want to spend six months trying to understand it and if it's that you know I'm not saying it's that difficult but six months to um understand what you can do with it and kind of stuff and you can do that for free and then yeah move your your prod instances up to the the yeah. paid tiers yeah, that's great. And you you get the seven hundred and twenty hours for the whole month, right? So if you do have a higher demand application that you want to test there, maybe you want to move like your uh, Tableau or X, Y, or Z up there. You could you could you could migrate a, a backup version of it there, see how it runs, see how you go, and then um, and then uh, take it down. You you might have consumed more than you know. Let's say you had it up for a couple of days, you might consume more than forty eight hours worth of you know, V cores, but it doesn't really matter because your credits last you. You can use as much yeah. as quickly as you want, basically. Um, the next one, which um, is good because I'm I'm kind of a secret fan of Azure Chaos Studio. It's not <laughs> a secret. I did an episode on it, I suppose. Um, but they've released some new faults um, in uh, Azure Chaos Studio allows you to literally inject chaos um, into your infrastructure in Azure. So um, you may be doing uh, unit tests, uh, integration tests, disaster recovery testing, uh, but this is where you can actually simulate um, disruptions into the infrastructure without actually waiting for you know any dis you know disruptive activity to happen. Um, so yeah, uh, we did an episode. I don't know when we did it, Alan. Can you look that up whilst I talk yep. about it? <laughs> um, we did an episode. Um, go back and listen to that episode if it's something that you you might want to test um, with your infrastructure and applications. Um, but there's um, three new faults. The faults are what you inject um, in uh, for service bus, which is uh, change queue state, change topic state, 
and change subscription state. Um, so, um, you know, they're just service direct faults. Um, you know, uh, basically you can inject straight into your service bus namespace. Um, so you can really um, test the reaction of your application to any one of those um, any any one of those things. Um, what's the best? Let me just uh, see if I can get you a total. There's quite a lot of um, there's quite a lot of uh, faults in the fault libraries and fault uh, fault providers. Um, you, you can there's really good documentation from Microsoft on how you inject those uh, faults in and, and how you manage them. Uh, so what's, what's you if you if you go look for those numbers? Um, but the episode was season four, episode eleven. Okay. For the Chaos Studio that you did. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm I'm done with that one. Uh, just a quick update from from Chaos Studio there. Um, this next one is a bit of a mammoth. I'm gonna try to not butcher this because this is <laughs> not my area whatsoever. Um, I just think it's cool, basically. Um, so DICOM. Um, it may be a format that nobody's heard of, um, but it's DICOM is used in medical imaging. Um, I am not an expert, but I believe it's so that you can mark up and layer on top of medical imaging, um, uh, basically. It, it's apparently been a standard for ever. Um, I say ever. Um, like uh, the first version was in 1985. Uh, basically um so you 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 basically a diacon file is it's got various different um artifacts inside of it like the actual image itself uh communication protocols um there's lots of other you know things inside of that file i'm sorry i'm absolutely butchering it but um it's quite widely used we are now seeing like a huge amount of AI and ML uh, focus around medical imaging. Um, so uh, things like, um, you know, uh, consultants um, uh, not needing to mark up um, um, imaging that comes out of uh, machines. Um, people are applying machine learning and computer vision models to that to detect, um, you know, to screen images. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big conversation about you know, how accurate that is and whether it's medically ethical to do that. Um, but you, you can't deny the innovation that's going on in that space to, you know, improve efficiencies there. Um, and what's, what is now uh, gone into preview is um, there's a Diacom service um, in Azure Health Data Services, something that I've never looked at before, but it's effectively, um, uh, it's an integration and a layer on top of um, Azure Data Lake. Um, so so what they're really uh, doing there is they are um, um, allowing you a, 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 a specialized storage area and mechanism for storing those uh, files, but then opening, uh, getting that medical imaging into Data Lake so that you can then um, connect it to the other ecosystem of tools um, that, uh, that that Microsoft actually currently has. And then there's obviously a, uh, well, not obvious, but there's a direct connection into um, uh, Azure Synapse, Azure Databricks, Azure Machine Learning, Microsoft Fabric. Um, it's effectively getting um, all of that data into one place. And what my assumption is, is um, that integration is just, 
is essentially going to allow you better um, uh, access uh, permissions um, and granularity um, of that specific diacom format. Um, it's not something that I've looked at. I just wanted to call it out that it was um, it, it seemed like a really good um, addition, um, especially if people are working in those um, imaging formats. I've I, 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 all, all I've heard is that it's not trivial to manage those data formats um, day to day. So, um, but again, um, I it's on my list. Basically, there may be an episode on it because if I manage to get a, I don't even know where I get a diacom file. Uh, to be honest with you, I'll have to go. Um, I'll have to, I don't know. There must be test ones out there, so I'll give it a try if I if I possibly can. That's cool. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, the next one. Um, so, um, ultra discs. Um, I, I, I love this product because it's probably the, one of the coolest, maybe chaos studios cooler. I don't know. It's one of the coolest names I would say, <laughs> um, in on Azure. So ultra discs are the highest performing storage option, um, for virtual machine, um, uh, uh applications, um, so it's really about super data intensive workloads. Um, think databases, transaction, transactional workloads. Um, so you know, uh, there's, there's, it's really for um, intensive bulk operations. It's not to be used for like things like operating system disks. You can buy anywhere from four gig to um, up to sixty five terabytes. I think something like that. I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I think it's 65 terabytes um, all the way from 300 megabyte, megabytes per second throughput up to four gigabit, gigabytes per second, um, up to 160,000 IOPS. These things are uh, pretty pretty high performance. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to work on a product that required one. Um, I unfortunately haven't ever had to deploy one. Uh, but what is good is they are now available in um, UK West. Um, and there's a bit of thing with UK West. It's kind of, it feels like it's smaller. I don't know that for a fact, but, you know, um, it's definitely feels like it doesn't get as much love as UK South um, for us UK um, Azure dwellers. Um, it's also in Poland Central as well. And I can't really comment about, you know, um, uh, over there because I, I don't really know what the topologies are like over there. But it's good because um, if you do have an ultra disk deployment um in UK South, um, you've struggled to um, have failover or disaster recovery, high availability to UK West. You might have data sovereignty issues that you, you know, I'm sorry, regulations, I should say. Well, I call them issues. Well, that's, you know, just a Freudian slip that came out of me there. <laughs> um, so um, this is just going to give you um, more options. And we, we do like to see, you know, these uh, features um, uh, being deployed uh, across, across all the, you know, the, the regions. No, that's good. Yes, yeah, like um, workloads like SAP, isn't it, and things like that. Yeah, I think it's one of the examples. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, definitely. Good. I wonder yeah, if there'd if you... be another disk type above Ultra. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know what it would be. <laughs> it's it's, it's got to be something pretty cool because yeah, whoever came up with Ultra Disk, you know, that's yeah, definitely. Um, and the last one that I've got um is something that. I would have loved for many, many, many years. Um, Azure app configuration uh, snapshotting. So, um, if you've ever, if you've ever set app configuration in Azure App Service, 
It is not complicated. There's a few different ways to approach it. You can use a key vault. You can embed it in your uh, config files. Uh, you can punch it into the portal. You can use the API, X, Y, and Z. Um, but sometimes you need to um, deploy new changes to that. And sometimes that can be a bit dangerous, right? You know, um, you are updating, maybe you're updating a, um, a database uh, connection string, as an example. Um, uh, what about an audit trail? Because once you've changed it, who, who, who changed it? What did they change it from? What did they change it to? Seeing the history and difference there. Um, so yeah, so uh, general availability of snapshots in um, uh, apps, um, app configuration. So again, uh, we're talking about safe deployment here, um, making sure that we control our ro rollout. We're not just free typing. Um, and what what can sometimes happen is is you your your application, if your application is running, right, you might want to update some configuration all at the same time. So it's not like punch in one, hit OK, punch in one, hit OK. You know, you might need to roll it out um, all at the same time. So you get controlled rollouts last known good configurations you get versioning auditing you can uh use snapshot between your testing and staging environments so you've got consistent um, environments there um and it's just you know um it, it's basically a lot simpler um to manage um so yeah really uh really good update that i i'd never really thought of to be totally honest with you i never really thought that you would like need that but you know, now I've read it, I'm like, that's, that's, that's really handy, basically. So uh, yeah, if you're using app service, then definitely, um, um, yeah, have a look at that for sure. Yeah, it definitely sounds like, I mean, not that I've done a lot of app service um, configurations, but I have done a little bit. And yeah, I, I see what you mean about being able to track it and also, yeah, revert back easily without you having to copy and paste it somewhere yeah exactly value was and stuff like yeah. from a novice doing it at least sort of thing not from a cicd process yeah and it's it's probably worth um just calling out that it is um it is integrated uh with a kubernetes service as app service azure functions and azure container apps as well um so uh you create like an app configuration store i believe um so i might do an episode on this because it's um it's quite a cool uh, feature, but I, I think mm. I'd need to um, actually uh, go through it and see how it works and how it works in the real world, you know, and how it functions. So yeah, that looks really cool. No, that's cool. Uh, that's pretty much me for, for for wrap up. Anything else that we haven't covered, Alan? Uh, any other things that spring to your mind? No, I think um, I think they're pretty good ones. And like I said, I've got a few on my list of stuff but it's not really um well i suppose i could talk about windows 365 and avd updates um he says that now um there's been some updates just with the management of it um over the last sort of three or four months really um and i've been sort of slow keeping track of it in the background but um some main ones are like the um if you're using fs logics to manage the profiles on a on AVD at least. Um, it's now beforehand you couldn't um, configure it with Defender, not Defender, but with Intune. You had to kind of either do a script to do it, but now it's in the the cat the settings catalog. So now you can configure that for it. So that's a really, really good thing. 
Um, and obviously the Windows 365 boot side of things, that's really, really good now that you can add Bluetooth devices, things like that, which came out of, uh, I think it went GA and out of Ignite, out of Ignite um, side of things. So that's, that's great as well, because that pretty much, you know, from a laptop perspective and using Windows 365, you know, you're almost sort of there. The only thing that's missing at the moment is captive portals um access but um when i was at ignite that was sort of suggested that it's in it's in you know it's on the um, roadmap so it almost makes uh you know reusing laptops um old hardware um, and use you know, the latest operating system so it seems like a good good win there as well but but yeah i think that's probably it for for this episode for okay. the yeah this news um Hi, Alan. Um, so, yeah, uh, what's what's the next episode? <clears throat> yeah, so I'm going to do I'm going to do the next episode, or be the the SME in the next episode, I should say. Um, and I'm going to talk about Microsoft Defender XDR, kind of the the rebranding of the portal, uh, which was Microsoft 365 Defender. Um, I think we've probably done an episode on this previously, but um, quite a lot's changed. A lot of the products are now feeding into it. I think we kind of need a refresh now. Um, you know what's what's new, what's coming, um, what was announced, kind of thing, and you know why, how powerful you know that portal is um, out of it, um, alongside with you know Microsoft Sentinel and things like that. So I think it's yeah, it's time to you know not regurgitate, but um, you know refresh the you know, that that sort of episode because a lot's changed. So so yeah, that's what I'll cover next week. Perfect, great, yeah um that, that's that's gonna be really good cool okay so did you enjoy this episode um did you enjoy this this format of the news um if you know if so please leave us a review or on apple or spotify um this really helps us catch more people you know uh, not catch but reach more people than uh, <laughs> like you um uh, if there's any specific, uh, specific feedback you know about this this episode you know the format um we'd love to hear about it um we have a link in our show notes um and get in contact with us yeah and if you've made it this far uh thanks ever so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one yeah thanks all